chapter number 16. While you're turning there, let me just make mention, um, we have a couple of our college students that will be going away this week, and so if you have a chance to uh, see them today and um, let them know you'll be praying for them, Marcus and Kendra and Eden uh, will all be leaving this week and going off to college, and uh, so be in prayer for them. Uh, as they travel this week and get started in classes and all of that and uh, just be in prayer for them. John chapter 16, John chapter 16, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. John chapter 16, verse number 1. It says, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. These things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the times shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. None of you asketh me whether thou goest, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Father, we do thank you that we can come this morning. Lord, we ask you just bless in the message now. Lord, use it to speak to hearts, and Lord, I pray that our hearts would be tender. Uh, to your Holy Spirit working in us, and that, Lord, we be attentive to your word. Uh, Lord, where you speak to us, may we be obedient. Uh, Lord, may we follow you. And, Lord, just draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we're continuing and really kind of today kind of concluding our series, Abide in Me, um, we've been going through chapter 15. And uh, really, if you think about it, all of chapter uh, 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, uh, 17, all the way through, all of this um, is really taking place in just a short amount of time. Um, Jesus has already been in the upper room with the disciples. They've already been there. And now they have left the upper room. Judas has gone out to betray him, uh, betray Jesus. And they've left the upper room and they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so on the way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, we find these words of Jesus to the disciples. Uh, Sometimes we can think of, you know, a chapter break being, well, this is something new starting or this is a different time now. But chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, it's all continuous here. It's all a continuation um, as Jesus is walking with his disciples to the Garden uh, of Gethsemane. And of course, we know that what's going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus is going to be praying there for a period of time, and then Judas is going to come uh, with soldiers and uh, with the religious leaders. They're going to arrest Jesus. They're going to take him to Caiaphas' house. They're going to beat him there, and then they're going to take him to Pilate, um, and he's going to stand before Pilate, 
And uh, of course, as we saw last week, that Pilate says, I, I find no fault in him. There's, there's, nothing, that I, there's nothing this man has done wrong. Uh, but yet, because of the Jews wanting Jesus to be crucified, Pilate goes ahead and gives the order. And so this is just, this is just a few hours before all of this is taking place. And Jesus, as we were looking as this series in chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Right? So Jesus is talking about, he's using this illustration that he is the, he is the vine, we're the branches, we're to be coming from him and everything that he, we need is through him. But in verse number one, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. And so through chapter 15, we've seen an emphasis both on Jesus and the father. But if we study the Bible, we'll find that we believe the Bible teaches what the Bible calls the Godhead. Some people call it the Trinity, but the biblical word is called the Godhead. The Godhead, that means there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost right? The Godhead, all three making one, but yet they are all three individual persons, right? The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. They are three individual persons, but yet making up the Godhead, right? And so we find Jesus speaking here in verse number one. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. But now as we come to chapter 16, he shifts to the third person of the Godhead, which is the Holy Spirit. And in these next few verses, we're going to see how important the Holy Spirit is in the life of a Christian. Because remember, Jesus is saying we are to abide in him. And as we abide in Christ, then we're able to fulfill the life that he has for us. Many, many times we find even through the books that uh, God used Paul to write, Paul speaks about walking in the spirit, walking in the spirit, walking in the spirit. What does that mean and why do we need the Holy Spirit of God? Jesus gives us some insight into that here this morning of the importance of the Spirit. I want you to notice, first of all, notice verse number 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So think about what Jesus is saying. It's important. It's necessary for me to leave. Jesus is talking about leaving. But he says, when I leave, I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, right? I'm going to send him. But the one thing that we have to understand and we have to get established, first of all, is when Jesus says, I'm going to send the comforter and he's going to abide with you, he's going to dwell in you, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit coming is not for every person to be indwelled. Now, we understand that when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God indwells that person. The Holy Spirit indwells that person, lives inside of that person. But the Holy Spirit is not for the world. The Holy Spirit does not live in every individual that is here on the planet Earth. The Holy Spirit only lives in those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, if you think about this, this is really kind of an interesting thing that Jesus is saying here. He says, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter 
will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So notice the first thing we find that Jesus speaks of is the comfort of the Spirit. The comfort of the Spirit. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because we're going to need his comfort. We're going to need his comfort in our life. Notice he speaks of comfort through trials. Back up in chapter 15, in verses 18 through 20, he talks about how the world is going to hate us because the world hates him. He talks about how the world is going to persecute us because the world persecuted him, because the world doesn't know him. So he talks about these trials that we're going to go through, these persecutions that we're going to go through. In chapter 16, notice what he says. These things have I spoken to you that you should not be offended. Um, <laughs> that's a great thing there, right? He's like, I'm telling you so that when the time comes, you didn't be like, well, Jesus never said that was going to happen, right? He says, I'm telling you what's going to happen. All right, Lord, what's, what's going to happen? He says, they shall put you out of the synagogues. What does that mean? Well, the synagogues were the place in, in every Jewish city, there would be a synagogue, and uh, this is where a lot of the social business and things would be done throughout the week, but this was also the place where the Jews would come and uh, the rabbis or the, the priests would come and they would read the scriptures and they would teach people the word of God. That's why whenever you find the, the apostles and even Paul on his missionary journeys, the first place that he would go to is the synagogue because that's where everybody gathered. And he said, look, what's going to happen is when you, try to, when you try to tell people about me, about Jesus Christ, they're going to kick you out. They're not going to want to hear it. They're going to they're gonna drive you out. And, and it really, he says, it's actually going to get into a little bit worse than that. He says, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. Well, that's a blessing. Right? I mean, he says, who, there's going to come a time when they're actually going to persecute and kill you, and when they're killing you, they're actually thinking they're doing service for God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> right? I mean, we're suffering for the Lord, but yet they think they're killing us for God. Right? Is that, that's what he said. They're going to kill you and they think that they're doing God's service. Hmm. He speaks of persecution. The hate that Christians will be subjected to because of following Christ. Do you know what the disciples were going to need during that time of trials? You know what the disciples were going to need when they were going to be persecuted and when they were going to be put in jail and beaten? Do you know what the disciples were going to need when they were going to be martyred and killed for the cause of Jesus Christ? They were going to need a comforter. They were going to need someone to be there with them and walk with them through this. They were going to need a comforter. Do you know what you and I are going to need during trials in our life? We're going to need a comforter. We're going to need a comforter, a helper to go with us through those difficulties. We'll say more about that in just a moment. Notice the second thing we find of comfort, not only comfort through trials, but comfort through disappointment. You ever been disappointed in life? Maybe someone disappointed you or you were hoping for a promotion and somebody else got it and you were disappointed. They're just, every one of us have faced disappointments. Jesus here just spoke of his departure. Think about what he says in verse 5. But now I go my way to him that sent me. He's speaking of his departure, his, his leaving, right? 
And even though the disciples didn't understand all that Jesus was saying here, he didn't, they didn't understand everything about the Holy Spirit coming. They didn't understand everything about Jesus leaving, but they did understand that they heard the words, I'm departing, I'm leaving. And it brought disappointment. Look what it says. Because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Lord, what do you mean you're leaving? You can't, you can't leave. You're, you're supposed to stay here. You're supposed to be our king. You're supposed to be our Messiah. You can't leave. What are you, what are you talking about? They, they, they couldn't understand why he's having to leave. And the Bible says that sorrow filled their heart. You see, things were not going to go the way they had planned. In a couple of hours, Jesus would be arrested. What would the disciples do? They would all run away. They would all run. Peter would deny him three different times. Don't you, aren't you one of his disciples? No, no, not me. Aren't you from Galilee? Aren't you one of those? No, no, not me. Three different times, Peter denies the Lord. And then in less than 24 hours from when Jesus is speaking this, in less than 24 hours, Jesus, their Messiah, their King, is going to be hanging on a cross. He's going to give up the last breath, and then they're going to watch him be buried in a tomb. And I said, that's not what they were planning. They weren't, they weren't expecting all of this to happen. They're not expecting Jesus to die. They're not expecting Jesus to be buried. You think maybe they needed some comfort? In 40 days, Jesus would ascend up to heaven. And they would be left alone. I mean, Jesus just told them, not only am I leaving, but you're also going to be persecuted. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogues. You're going to be, uh, you're going to be killed for, for, for my name. You're going to, uh, and they think they're going to be doing God's service. You know, th- this, this wasn't the pep talk that they were wanting. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're wanting a pep talk, right? Lord, yes, we're going to conquer and we're going to take the kingdom and we're going to do all these things. And Jesus says, actually, no, I'm leaving. And you're going to go through trials and difficulties. It's not going to be fun. That's not rousing morale but he said hey i want you to know something i'm not going to leave you alone i'm not going to leave you alone i'm going to send the comforter how was paul and silas able to sing praises when they were bound in stocks in a philippian jail did they have something we don't have no the comforter was with them How was Peter able to endure persecution and eventual crucifixion for Christ? Because he had the comforter. When you think about it, all of the disciples that were there, all of them except one were going to be martyred for Jesus Christ. The only one that did not, that was not martyred was the apostle John. And he was the only one that actually lived to what we would say maybe an old age and died of natural causes. But even all the suffering that he went through. The beatings that he went through, the imprisonments that he went through, the exile that he went through, uh, all of the torture that he went through. How was he able to go through all of that? Because he had a comforter. He had a comforter with him. How are you and I going to be able to endure the persecution that comes for following Christ? 
because it's not going to be easy. Jesus said, look, it's not going to be easy. And he says, I don't. And this is what he said. Think about again, what he says in verse number one, I'm telling you these things, these things have I spoken to you that you should not be offended. I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to let you know, this is what's going to happen. It's not going to be an easy road. We get this idea, well, if, I get, if I'm a Christian, then everything's going to be easy. All my problems and all my difficulties are all just going to magically disappear and everything's just going to be so easy now. That's not what he said. He said, there's going to be trials. There's going to be disappointments. And here's why many Christians choose not to follow Jesus. Because of what he's saying right here. <laughs> Lord, if you're saying... If you're saying there's going to be trials, if you're saying there's going to be persecution, maybe, maybe we, 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 we need to step back and, and rethink this here. If, the, if you're saying there's going to be disappointments in life and, and difficulties, Lord, maybe we need to, you know, you know, maybe this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Lord, isn't there some easier way? Wait a minute. Why did he say they're going to persecute? Because they hate him. And if, they're, and if you're following him, he says they will hate you also. When we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Jesus says, the world will hate us because they hate the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, I want you to know, I'm not going to leave you alone. And this is what's really amazing about this passage. He says, it's expedient for me that I go away. The word expedient, necessary, it's important that I go away. Well, wouldn't it have been easier for Jesus to just stay? Wouldn't it have been easier for Jesus to just stay on the earth and, and do everything that he needed to do here? That would have been easier, sure. But it wouldn't have been the best thing for us. So, why, Jesus being here wouldn't be the best thing for us? Well, Jesus always knows what's best. And if it was best, Jesus would have stayed. But Jesus said, it's best that I go... Because here's the thing, Jesus, in human form, fully God, fully man, 100% God, 100% man, could not be everywhere at the same time physically. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't go out and say, oh, pastor's preaching, you know, false doctrine. I'm not saying Jesus did not know everything. I'm saying Jesus physically in his human form could not be everywhere at the same time. When Jesus was in Galilee and somebody came and said, hey, Lazarus is sick. Was Jesus with Lazarus physically? No, he wasn't. Where was Jesus? In Galilee with the disciples. Did he know Lazarus was sick? Yes, he did. But was he there with Lazarus and Mary and Martha? No, he was not. And it was not till two days later that Jesus says, okay, it's, it's time to go. We're going we're to go to Bethany. We're going to go see him. Lazarus has already died, but we're going to go anyway. He knew that Lazarus had died. He was all-knowing. But in his physical human form, he limited himself to only being in one place at a time physically on the earth. Jesus was not able to be in Galilee and in Bethany and in Jerusalem and in Africa and in Israel and in all over. He wasn't able to be everywhere at the same time in his physical human form. And so Jesus says, it's expedient for me that I go. Why? Because I have someone that is coming that is able to be with every single one of you every place on planet earth. 
the comforter. Every single person that accepts Jesus Christ as their savior, God gives them the Holy Spirit of God. And it doesn't matter if you're in Africa or China or America or India or, or, or wherever you are. Every single person right now, those Christians that are, that are worshiping and meeting in Africa and those Christians that are worshiping and meeting in China and, and, and in Canada and in Argentina, they all have the same indwelling Holy Spirit that you and I have right here, right now. Jesus said, it's expedient, it's important, it's necessary for me to go, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the comforter, and he's going to be with you. He's going to comfort through trials. He's going to comfort through disappointments. And then Jesus says something else. Not only is the spirit, the comfort, or do we find the comfort of the spirit, but we also find the reproof of the Spirit. In verses 8 through 10, we find this. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So there's the reproof. But then he takes, and he mentions three things. He's going to reprove of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But then he elaborates on each of those three things, right? Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now, here's where we have to understand. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the comforter to you, and he's going to be a comfort to you, believers. Those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's a comfort to you. But guess what he is to the world? He's a reprover. He's a reprover. This, this idea, this reproof it's 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 really interesting the word reproof is the same as what we would use the word exposed or convict he's exposing the world he is convicting the world in fact even the word comforter when jesus says the comforter who will come the word comforter can also be translated as the word counselor so in other words let's just step back for a second if um if you were in a court and somebody was accusing you of something and you say, hey, I am totally innocent. I did not rob this bank. I did not do this, whatever it is. I am absolutely, totally innocent. I didn't do it. But you are being taken to court and somebody is accusing you of doing it. Okay? I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's anybody in the room here today that would say, you know what? I am innocent and so therefore I don't need a lawyer. I'm innocent and I don't need any help because all I have to do is just get up there and say, I didn't do it. That's not going to go well. Because on the other side, there is a guy that's called a prosecutor. The prosecutors really don't like the people that they are prosecuting because the prosecutors, guess what they always hear? I didn't do it. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. No, that's somebody. You got the wrong person. They hear that all the time. They're not just because you say, I didn't do it. They're not going to just believe you. They're going to try to bring out all kinds of things and they're going to try to convict you. The prosecutor's not your friend. He's not your friend. He's trying to convict you whether you did it or not. You know why? Because he wants to be able to say, hey, look at all these people I've prosecuted, right? I mean, he doesn't care if you did it. He's going to try to make it look like you did it. We need help. 
I'm going to find out who is the best lawyer that I can get because I need some help. I need a counselor on my side that knows the law, that knows everything that's going on to be able to say, hey, you know what? Yes, I understand you have a prosecutor over there and he's saying my, my, uh, my defendant did this, but I'm telling you he didn't and here's why. And I want, I want somebody good, right? I don't want, you know, just, oh, here's somebody on the back of a shoebox. Hey, I think I'll call him, you know? I want somebody that really knows what they're doing. That's what that that word comforter also means it's a counselor right there is there is a accusation being brought not against me but against who the world there's an accusation being brought against the world right now watch this the counselor brings the accusations against the defendant and hears the accusations hears the counselor's accusation against the world Here it is. Sin. Sin. You have sinned. The Holy Spirit is accusing the world of sin. There's a reproof of sin. Now, think about this with me. What is it? What is the sin that separates us from God? What think about it? What is the sin that separates us from God? Oh, it's lying. Lying separates us from God because lying is a sin or stealing. Stealing is a Yeah, that's a good one too. Murder. Murder separates us from God, right? Immorality, adultery, right? Cheating, all those things. That, that's all sin. That, that's what separates us from God. Now, are, there, are those sins? Yes. But is that what separates us from God? No. Watch what he says. Of sin because they believe not on me. There's the sin that separates someone from God. Because they refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Oh yes, lying is sin, and stealing is sin, and cheating is sin, and adultery is sin, and murder is sin. But the sin that separates someone from God is choosing not to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as the Savior of the world. He says, of sin because they believe not on me. In John chapter 3, I think all of us would probably be very familiar with verse number 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Great verse, wonderful verse. What do the next two say? Because the next two are just as important. Verse number 17 says this, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through them might be saved. Wait a minute. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world? No. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus came to save. Well, why didn't he come to condemn? Well, verse number 18. He that believeth on him, Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned. What's the next word? Already. Why? Because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, Jesus says, if a person has not believed on the name of Jesus Christ, they're already condemned. They're already condemned. We, we get this idea, you know, sometimes we have this idea that, well, when I get, when I get to heaven and, and God will, will weigh my good and my bad and hopefully I'll be able to make it or, you know, if I do enough good things or whatever. No, God says you're already condemned. You're already condemned. If you refuse to say, I don't need Jesus, I don't need to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then Jesus says, you are already condemned. You're condemned. You see, the Holy Spirit 
in our life of those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit is living in us, working in us, being the comforter, right? But in the world, he is the accuser. In the world, he is trying to convict. He's saying, hey, you are a sinner. Hey, you're a sinner. Hey, you're a sinner. You need to believe on Jesus Christ. Hey, you're a sinner. You need to believe on Jesus Christ. See, he's already convicting them. They're already condemned because they have not believed. You see, there's the reproof of sin. But notice, secondly, there's the reproof of righteousness. He says, of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. It's really interesting. What does he mean by that? I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Well, the world tries to apply their standard of righteousness to make themselves look better. Right? Whether it's through religious rituals whether it's through asceticism or denying self of pleasure, whether it's through morality, whether it's through, you know, whatever it is, their standard of righteousness is based on what they can do. They're trying to to make themselves look righteous. We would think when he says that they're being accused of righteousness, we'd be like, well, if they're righteous, why are they being accused? No, no, they're not being accused because they're righteous. They're being accused because they have created a false righteousness. Remember how we saw back in chapter 15? What, what happened? They, they had created this facade of religion, right? Whether it was through the Pharisees, the scribes, whatever it was, this was, there was a facade of religion and they were trying to say, look how good we are. I mean, I fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i have i mean so much so that i'll go out to my little garden and where i've got my my herbs and things i'm going to pick off every tenth leaf and give that to god i know i'm telling you just, just telling you how 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 god sees me right i mean lord i thank thee that i'm not like this publican over here this wicked sinner, stealing, cheating. No, God, that's not me because I'm good. And I go to church and I give and I do all these good things. You see, they were trying to build up their own righteousness. But what happened? When Jesus came, he destroyed their righteousness. When Jesus came, he said, let me show you who is perfect. Let me show you who is righteous. And what did Pilate say? I find no fault in him. When, when he was brought before Caiaphas and the, 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 the Sanhedrin there, they couldn't, find, they couldn't even get two witnesses to lie the same lie. They couldn't find anything wrong with him because he was perfect. And it put them to shame. It made their righteous. Remember he says he removes that cloak that they're under. He's showing what's behind that facade. Behind that facade is wickedness. It is death. It's immorality. That's what behind it. And that's why they hated him. Maybe he said, that's why they hate me, because I've removed that cloak. Oh, but what's about to happen? Jesus is about to leave. Know what he said? Because I go to my father and ye see me no more. Jesus is about to leave. You know the greatest thing that the, the religious leaders of the day wanted? Jesus out of there. Because everything that he did put them to shame. Everything that he did make them look like a sinner so what happens when jesus leaves what are they going to do they're going to bring that facade right back up oh that guy you know that guy that you know he's not even here anymore he's gone 
And they're going to bring that facade, they're going to put that cloak right back up and they're going to try to convince people to say, hey, look at how good you can be. You can come to church and you can give and you can be right and you can help granny across the street and and you can, you know, try to keep the commandments and you can give and and you can do all these different things and be kind to your neighbor. Bring up, build up that facade. Look how good you are. Look how good I am, God. He says, but let me tell you something. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. That counselor is going to be convicting. Hey, not only are you a sinner, but you're not righteous either. You think you're good? All right, let's compare it to Jesus. Oh, but wait a minute. Jesus isn't here. So how are they going to know who Jesus is? If Jesus isn't here, how are they going to know? Why does the world hate Christians? Because they follow Jesus. Why is the world wanting to persecute and kill you, thinking that they're doing God a favor? Because they hate Jesus. And so when a Christian begins to live the life that Jesus wants them to live and to follow Jesus, hey, they're not perfect. Please understand, we're not saying they're ever going to be perfect. But as they start living a righteous and a holy life and separate from the world, guess what that begins to do? Man, that makes the world angry. What do, you, what do you think you're doing? Why are you living that way? Just live like the rest of us. Just do the same thing that everybody else is doing. You don't have to talk that way. You don't have to live that way. Just do the same thing everybody else is doing. And they hate Christians because they're trying to follow Jesus. And what happens? The Holy Spirit starts... You see, that's how Jesus was. Now, they're not perfect, but Jesus was perfect, and they're trying to follow Jesus. And you think you're right? You think you're somehow good enough? You think somehow just because you go to church that that's going to help you get to heaven? No, sorry. And the Holy Spirit starts. And they hate it. And that's why he says they're going to kill you. That's why they're going to try to get rid of you because they're trying to silence the conviction that they're under. Why is it that the world and the devil tries to get Christians to live like the world and the devil? If they don't care about Jesus, if they don't care about God, why does the world care about how you live? Because it brings conviction. And they don't want that conviction. And so they'll try to do away with you. You either change or we'll do away with you. Comforter, the counselor, he's reproving of sin. He's reproving of righteousness. And by the way, even Matthew 5.20, Jesus said, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, don't misunderstand. Jesus isn't saying that they were righteous enough to enter. He's just saying they had tried to make themselves look so good that if you think you're going to get to heaven by your righteousness, you're going to have to exceed their righteousness. Now, neither one's going to get you to heaven. But you think you're going to be good, you're going to have to even look better than what they did. And they, to the world, they looked, they looked pretty good. Jesus destroyed their righteousness by living a perfect, holy, and righteous life. And that's why he desires us to live a holy righteous life so that the world can see jesus through us but he's also reproving of judgment 
There's the reproof of sin, the reproof of righteousness, and the reproof of judgment. The problem with the religious Jews, and again, think about what he says in verse number 11, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The prince of this world is judged. The problem with the religious Jews and all religions is they they try to judge by the outward appearance. They try to judge by, that's why the Pharisee said, I thank thee that I'm not like the publican, the outward appearance. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. What was that? It was all outward appearance. It was all show, right? That's how religion works. It's all show, right? Though Jesus may have done miracles and been a good teacher, the problem was he didn't fit the part. He didn't look like them. He didn't talk like them. He didn't teach like them. He didn't dress the way they did. He didn't teach the way they did. So because he wasn't like them, surely then he could not be from God. In John chapter 7, verse number 24, Jesus says, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. What did they say about Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse number 13? After Peter and John had been preaching... It says this, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. And so you guys can't be from God. You've never been to school. You're unlearned. You're ignorant. How in the world can you say that this message that you're giving is from God? Why did they say that? Because they didn't look the part. They didn't sound the part. They didn't have all the right terminology like the religious leaders did. Why? Because religion looks at the outward. Religion is looking on the outside. They're not looking at the heart. They're not really even looking at the message. It's just, what can we see? Isn't it interesting how many religions there are in the world? Think about that. How many religions are in the world today? (laughs) Right? And they are all based on one thing outward show the outward show they're all, they're all based on outwardness right being good going to church you know even you know hinduism you know don't eat this don't touch this right uh you know you, you can't step on a cockroach because that might be your grandma or something like that i mean i mean it's all it's all on the outward it's all outward do's and don'ts it's all the outward, you, you know, you've you got to go here and, and, and you know, even, you know, in, with like Mormonism, things like that. Man, you're already a God. You just got to keep working to become a better God. And all. It's all an outward show. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus says, I want you to understand something. The prince of this world, the devil... Satan, Lucifer, the deceiver, whatever you want to call him, he stands condemned. The prince of this world is judged already. He stands condemned. Judgment has already been passed. It's like someone that is sitting on death row. They're sitting in that cell. Judgment has already been passed. They're going to be executed. They're simply waiting for the sentence to be carried out. God says, that's what's happened to the prince of this world. Judgment has already been passed. 
You say, well, why is he still free? Because he's waiting for sentence to be carried out. He's already condemned. And he says, I want you to know this. Of judgment, I'm convicting of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Just as the devil stands condemned, so do all those who have never put their faith in Christ. He says, I want you to know you're a sinner. He says, I want you to know you're not righteous. And I want you to know you're already condemned. You're that inmate. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're that inmate on death row. Your, your sentence has, has been passed. The judgment has been passed. You're simply waiting for the sentence to be carried out of death. But here's the wonderful thing. Jesus came and died on the cross. So you don't have to experience that sentence of death. Jesus came, and that's why he says, look, it, the only way to get back to the Father, the only way to get back to God is by believing in me. There's no other way. We are already condemned, he says. Again, many people try to think, well, I'm good enough. No, Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. We do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Oh, look at all the good that I've done. He said, it's like filthy rags to God. Why? Because God is perfect. God is righteous. God is holy. Well, what about all the, all the times I went to church? The church doesn't save you. What about all the times that I gave? Money doesn't save you. What about all the times I was kind to my neighbors? Kindness doesn't save you. He says, again, think about this. Of sin because they believe not on me it's only through jesus christ that's the only way that a person can be saved and the holy spirit for those who've accepted christ as their savior boy he's a comfort he's our comforter he's right there helping us through those trials and through those difficulties but friend if you've never accepted jesus as your savior the holy spirit's not your comforter he's your reprover He's the prosecutor saying, you are guilty. And the problem in this court, there's nobody good enough to face the prosecutor. The prosecutor is God. And he says, you're guilty. And the sentence has already been passed. Death. Oh, but there's one. There's one, if you would allow that would stand up and say, God, I'll take his place. I'll die in his place. I'll take his punishment. I'll take his judgment so that he doesn't have to. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can stand in that courtroom and say, I'll save him. But there's a third thing we find here. Notice very quickly, not only do we find the comfort of the Spirit, the reproof of the Spirit. But again, Jesus now jumps back to those who have no Christ as their Savior, and he shows the guiding of the Spirit. Look in verse number 13. 
He says, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. He's he's our guide. The guiding of the Spirit. Notice he says he is our guide in this life. He is to be our guide. It's, it's uh, It's not your conscience. It's not your feelings. It's not your church. It's not your family or your friends. That's not who is to be your guide in life. It is to be the Holy Spirit of God. He is to be our guide. He's our guide. Notice, what does he guide us into? The spirit of truth. He guides us into truth. Did you notice what Jesus calls him? Calls him the spirit of truth. And he will guide you into all truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will never lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. Your emotions will lie to you. Your family will lie to you. Your friends will lie to you. But the Holy Spirit will never lie to you. The Holy Spirit will never deceive you. He'll never lead you astray because he is truth. That's why in John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus says, thy word is truth. Guess guess who is the one that uh, told the human penman what to write down? The Bible tells us it's the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was the one that said, Paul, this is what I want you to write. Matthew, this is what I want you to write. John, this is what I want you to write. The Holy Spirit wrote those things, and he says, thy word is truth, and when we get into the word of God, we can know what truth is. You are not going to find truth in this world. You're not going to find it. The world doesn't even know what truth is. They think truth is just whatever you want it to be. No, that's not truth. Truth can only be found in his word. Only through the word of God can we find truth. So why are so many Christians kind of being misled? Because they're not allowing the Holy Spirit to guide them. They're allowing their feelings, their emotions, their family, their friends, whatever else, to guide them through life. And it needs to be the Holy Spirit of God. He is to be the guide of truth. But he is also, notice, the guide and the spirit of understanding. He says at the end, he says, but whatsoever he shall hear, verse number 13, that shall he speak. What, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. What will sh- uh, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. He says, look, I, the Holy Spirit wants to give you understanding. There's so much confusion about what's going on in the world today, confusion about what's going to happen tomorrow, confusion about what's going to happen to our country, confusion about what's going to happen to our world. I mean, there's just so much confusion. Can I tell you something? You don't have to be confused. As a Christian, you don't have to be confused. You know why? Because he gives us the spirit of understanding. He wants us to know what is in his word. He wants us to have that understanding. He says, everything that is mine, that is Jesus, he said, I've given to the Holy Spirit. And he's going to help you to understand these things. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse number 9. He says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. He's talking about a Christian. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. 
For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. He said, the Spirit of God knows everything about God. He knows everything about the Father. He knows everything about the Son. And what does he say? Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God says, there are so many things I want you to know. There's so much I want you to know and I want you to understand. Can I tell you, men have been studying this book for centuries and we still do not understand it all. A book. You would think a book that big should be able to be studied pretty quick and pretty understood. You know why we can't? Because it's God's. We're not talking about men. Men can write a formula and somebody can figure it out and maybe even figure out how to do it better. But when you're talking about the things of God, it's going to take a while to figure it out. And you're going to find out you can't do it better than God. You can't do it better than God. He says he wants us to know these things. He's given us the spirit that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. You know why so many Christians live in confusion? Because they're not in the word. They're not allowing the Holy Spirit of God to guide them into truth and understanding. He says, hey, Christian, I want you to know. I've given you the comforter. I've given you the spirit of truth. And he'll guide you into all truth. He's going to show you things. He's going to help you through these things. But here's the thing. The only way that happens is if I'm walking in the Spirit. You see, if I don't care about what God says, if I don't care about what he says and I don't want to listen to him, it's going to be kind of hard for the Holy Spirit to guide me. If I say, I don't need to read the word of God, I don't need to pray, I don't need to be in church, I don't need the things of God, it's going to be really hard for the Holy Spirit to guide you. But when we're walking in the Spirit, and this is why so often Paul talks about walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, yield to the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because he wants to guide us. He wants to guide us into truth. He wants to guide us into understanding. You say, man, I don't understand why some, somebody over here can understand the Bible better than I can. Well, how much time do you spend studying the Word of God? I mean, if you're just going to read it for five minutes and somebody over here is studying it for five hours, I can tell you who's probably going to understand more because they're spending more time in it. We just have this, we have this drive through Christianity. We just want it, want it now, right? We put our order in, God give it to me right now. Here we go. It doesn't work that way. He says, study, get in the word. He's, he's given us his comforter, the, the spirit of truth. Why is he giving it to us? He's the spirit of comfort. He's the spirit of reproof. He's the spirit guiding us. For a Christian, the Spirit also can reprove us as well. The Spirit convicts. But when he's talking about here in the world, he's talking of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who say, Pastor, you know, I've been thinking that it's all by my good things. 
I thought maybe when I stood before God that God would, you know, measure it out. And if I was good enough, I'd make it. Friend, Jesus said that's not it at all. It's only through Jesus Christ. Christian, are we walking in the Spirit so that we have the Spirit of comfort through those trials and difficulties? Are we walking in the Spirit so that we have the Spirit guiding us into truth and understanding? Or are we just out trying to figure it out on our own? We need to be walking in the Spirit so that the world can see Jesus living through us. Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning. Lord, how important your Spirit is in our lives. Lord, maybe today there's someone that does not know Jesus as their Savior. They've tried to build up all of their righteousness. They've tried to say, Lord, look at, look at me. Look how good I am. Lord, I pray this morning you'd speak to their heart. Help them to realize and recognize that it is only through Jesus Christ. No other way. Maybe they're Christians this morning. They would say, Lord, I, I've not been yielded to you. I need that comforter. I need that spirit of truth to guide me. Maybe this morning there's someone you say, Pastor, that's me. I've, I've never put my faith and trust in Christ alone. I thought it was just by my good works. I thought it was by being in church. But I'm not sure if I died where I would go. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you or call you out. I just want to pray for you this morning. My prayer cannot save you. You say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Nobody else looking about. Yes, God bless you. You put your hand down. Anybody else? Yes, God bless you. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure if I were to die today where I'd go. And Christian, can I ask you, are you walking in the Spirit so that you have that comfort when you're going through trials? You have that comfort when there's disappointment in our life? Are we walking in the Spirit so that we can be a testimony to those around us of Jesus Christ? Are we walking in the Spirit so that we can allow Him to guide us into truth and understanding? Aren't you tired of trying to do it all yourself and trying to figure it all out on your own? Maybe it's time today just to surrender and say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. Lord, I'm just going to do it your way instead of mine. Father, would you work in the invitation? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.